Welcome back to Real Voices of Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined with my co-host and star of this show, Kevin Kernan. Today we bring to you Coaching Kernan, episode 162. Before we start and introduce our great guest today, I want to thank our 16,000 subscribers. We reached that plateau today. Reminder to you guys, download, listen, like, subscribe, and we just started reminding people last week, make sure you rate and review. Much like baseball, we're trying to overcome the analytics of podcasting here. So if you rate and review it, it helps keep our score where it's at and we can continue to provide you great content like we do with all of our shows. Make sure that you are streaming us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. If you have a different platform, let me know and I'll make sure we subscribe to it. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I engage the audience on one question a day live and then I answer everybody else privately. We appreciate that engagement. Follow Kevin also writes two articles a week, two tremendous articles for Ball Nine. Support our brothers over there at Ball Nine and Kevin's articles. Um, follow him on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram as well. He's also a foodie, so you'll get a chance to see what kind of food he eats, and he'll improve your diets as well. We are now in 72 countries. Thanks to Ryan LaVarnway, got us into Israel. He promised and he delivered 72 countries, grassroots, all the way to Major League Baseball front offices. And all we're trying to do for you guys is build a better baseball IQ. And I think with our guest today, we're going to do that. But before we get to before we get to Jim and introduce him, Kevin, great articles again this week. Um, you know the injuries keep happening. Brandon Woodruff went down last night, and then the Javi Baez base running. I know we talked a little bit offline about that. Share a little bit about your articles and things you you saw this past week in baseball and what you're looking towards next week. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, I'm excited about the show today because we like to learn as well. And our guest today will 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 kind of we'll sit back and enjoy his his thoughts as well because he, he knows so much and bottom line here is I've had enough I've had it with baseball I'm almost to the point of uh, I, I don't care and uh it's hard for me to say that you know I find other things to do like you said the food the beautiful area I live in uh and I think there's a lot of fans like that I mean they, they, the game is so screwed up right now um Guys don't know when they get strikes called with the, uh, you know, with the pitch clock. Guys don't know when they get balls called. There's fake runners, fake balls, fake strikes, blah, blah, blah. So I started looking at a couple teams. Um, this is where I'm really over the top. I'm just so sick and tired of guys who run teams who know nothing about baseball. Or, you know, just, you know, I'm, I'm tired of Peter Gammons saying this guy's the greatest uh, guy in the world to run a team. And the guy doesn't know anything about the game. Or continues to lose. You know, there's 17 losing teams right now in MLB, and I looked at uh, I looked at one team specifically. I looked at two actually. Tigers, you know, AJ Hinch, who uh, you know, you know, he was so upset by the cheating that he threw a TV screen against the wall or something. But meanwhile, uh, the Tigers stink. They can't play defense. Nobody knows how to play any defense. They, they, all these nerds have everybody playing out of position. I'm going to not even get to the pitching because that's going to be our main subject today. But the pitchers going down left and right. And how about the A's? What a joke. What a joke as an organization. Um, I know we have 16,000 subscribers today, and, and we should have three times that. We're the most honest baseball 
thing out there. People should be listening. We should have a hundred thousand. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm telling the people to step it up. Let's go here. If you're tired of what's going on with the game, you know, the, you know, help us out here. The A's are three and fourteen. They can't play. Uh, it's a, it's unbelievable to watch them play. I mean, it's, it's. I see high school JV teams that are better than the A's in fundamentals and things like that. I watched. I turned on the Red Sox yesterday. It's my last point. Uh, I turned on the Red Sox yesterday after going for a nice bike ride and walk, and uh, I, you know, they made three errors in one inning, and and the other team couldn't score with three errors in one inning. The pitcher chunked the throw to first from about thirty feet. Your t- your average t ball play, you know, the shortstop missed made a made made a bad throw because Hein Bloom has anybody playing shortstop. You want to play shortstop? Go apply to the Red Sox. You might get a chance, you know. And and then there was a pickoff throw that was, you know. 15 feet off the mark. And again, I went to spring training. I didn't see teams working on stuff like stealing. They should steal. Every team should steal three times the amount of bases they ever stole before because the pitchers can't hold them on. They, they, uh, they've, they've weighted the rules so much in favor of the hitters and the, uh, and the base runners. It's a joke, but the risk adverse nerds running teams refuse to run for some reason. Anthony Volpe can steal, you know, He's, it's like uh, it's like when you watch a again. I'm going back to high school. You watch a really good shortstop on a good high school team. He he walks. He steals second. He steals third. That's what the major league is now. And people think you know people like Morgan Sword Sword from uh, MLB said, "Well, we wanted to be like it was in the '60s." You know, he was born in like '86 or something. He doesn't know what it was like in the '60s. And in the '60s, you could slide hard into people. Uh, you know, O'Neill Cruz gets hurt because he doesn't know how to slide. They don't practice sliding anymore. So. You got me in a day where I'm just totally pissed off with MLB and I want us to have more subscribers because we deserve it. Yeah. I, I, I love it when you're, when you're pissed off. It, it's, it makes for great shows as they always do. And I agree with you. I'm challenge our subscribers out there right now. Pass it on to four or five friends today. Let's start jacking up the, the ratings and reviews on us right here. And let's beat the analytics of podcasting because you're right on the money. This is an honest show and we hit it straight where it's at. And I think your, your comments are a great segue into our guest right now because out there in baseball people are talking about how great pitching is and how poor hitting is and I think our guests research will kind of point to a different problem in baseball but um, we, we've had some some tremendous guests inside the the pockets of baseball uh, Justin Orenduff is one who's former major league pitcher who's committed his life to learning about pitching and injuries and mechanics and and throwing and pitching and throwing motions and our guest today I want to welcome today to our show Jim Colonel. Jim, to me, is one of the most preeminent researchers in baseball right now. Um, he's not afraid to dig into any topic. Uh, I know we, we'll talk a little bit about you. It started an app, and it's it's not quite out there yet, but um, we could we could probably help with that as well. But uh, Jim has provided us with some background information, and he's going to share today on some studies he's done on pitching, on pitching motion, on pitching injuries, on pitching effectiveness, pitching education. And uh, can't wait to get started. Based on our pre-talks that we had, we could probably run a, a two weeks of shows with you, Jim, uh, based on your knowledge and research. But with, with that, I want to welcome Jim Colonel to our show today. Jim, welcome. Well, thank you very much. Um, I, I appreciate that comment about two weeks. Um, I, I think that my family would probably only want to speak to me about a day and a half. But anyway, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you, we're, we're monomaniacal here, so we could, we could talk about that all day long. Uh, <laughs> I'll throw throw a couple quick questions because I want to give the audience uh, the best sense of what we what attracted us to you and bringing you on the show today. But um, start start first with with a study that we were talking about right before the show, uh, where you studied 
hundreds of pictures last year during June and July, and it'll show our audience just how deeply you dive into um, issues. You don't just take it at face value. You're not afraid to look at something, explore, hey, I'm, I'm right or I'm wrong. That's what science is. That's what it should be. Um, you don't put science out in front and try to prove your point by research and that you do it the way you do it. So talk about that big study you did last year, June and July. And, and yeah, um, I, I've done several studies and, and they've kind of grown on each other. And uh, I, as, as I try to do, I put one foot in front of the other and one study leads to another, leads to another series of questions um, based on comments I hear. Uh, I read from general managers, from coaches, just uh, the pundits who follow the game. And so one of the studies I did, I was curious, I looked at um, starting pitchers and um, I have several researchers that help me out, uh, that kind of help me with uh, get, uh, gathering information for me. But I looked at all the starters last season in June and July, and there were 800 starters, I think roughly 801. And I wanted to look and see um, what their average start was. I wanted to see how many pitches they averaged in that start. And then I broke it down into um, strike and ball ratio. I wanted to see in that start, what was their percentage of strikes that they threw. And uh, what I came up with was was not surprising, but very interesting. Um, The average start was um, five innings and the average number of pitches was 89 pitches. Um, so then I broke it down, as I said, into, let me look and see what their strike ratio was. And, um, I don't have the exact figures in front of me here, but, uh, it was roughly between 50 to 20% of those starters, um, in five innings or less through 100 pitches. And then there was uh, approximately 30 to 33% of those pitchers had a strike ratio under 62%. And I spoke to several pitch people in Major League Baseball that I had contacts with and just kind of asked them a question and said, hey, what, what is your normal strike ratio? What do, you, what do you look at as a pitcher having a good strike to ball ratio? And they all gave me somewhere between 65 to 67 percent. And that, you know, I'm, I'm sure that varies. Um, but there was a percentage of uh, pitchers who had a strike ratio under 60 percent. So I took all the information. I thought about it. And in light of. Um, several conversations I've had with either sports writers or people in the game or what I read, they say, hey, you know, the pitching is really, really so much better than a hitter than hitting these days. Uh, it's really dominated by pitching. And I go, well, if it's dominated by pitching, why can't they get past the fifth inning? Um, is it because they can't command the strike zone? Is it because the pitch, the hitters are actually fouling their pitches off or making contact and getting on base. Uh, they're not as effective as, you know, we think they are. Um, you know, I don't have the answers to that, but it certainly gave me enough information to question the statement that the pitchers today are so much better than the hitters because they're not, they're not getting past the fifth inning and they're in the shower. No, that's great. And, and- I guess uh, um, this is more of my curiosity. What study led to that and what study followed that? I know you said they're all connected. Well, when I, when I started when I started doing some studies, I was looking at specific um, arm injuries. I evaluated all the pitchers who had Tommy John surgery, and I was looking for common denominators in their motion. And then I looked at um, several um, IL injury lists. Uh, and I started looking at those issues, right? And the more I read about injuries and then the more I began to read about and hear about um, people supporting the, 
there's this the belief that the pitchers are so much better today based on velocity and and what they throw I kind of started say let, let me just let me let me look at what the start of pitch, starting pitchers are doing and I stopped at 2 months because it obviously it's very time consuming and I didn't see any variation so I go listen I I th- this is a good sample 800 starting pitchers um maybe at some point I might do it further but um, I'm not that anal that I needed to do the entire year. <laughs> yeah. With, um, you know, with, with our youth today, we we're grassroots all the way to the front offices here. So you got a, you got a broad audience with the obsession over velocity and, and just one, I guess one tactic, technique, tactic, whatever you want to call it, that people use or overuse right now is the weighted ball. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? And, I mean, have you looked at other sports? Do they use weighted balls? I mean, yeah. Um, once you know, once again, to back up a little bit here on, on this whole issue of pitching injuries, I try to I try to look at it from ten thousand feet and look at all the all the common and all, all the factors involved. Um, and we can talk about that a little later. But specifically per your question, um, I've worked with um, high school and college pitchers now for about fifteen years. And I've watched and looked at other instructors and, and, and the results of what they and their, their, their work with pitchers that I've worked with. And um, I would say that my analysis of youth pitching motions and the, peop- and the youngsters that I've worked with and I've seen on the mound, I coached high school baseball for 12 years. So between coaching and working with uh, pitchers, I probably have seen and evaluated and videotaped over 100 to 150 high school pitchers, say. And um, if, I, if I had to you know, make a guess, I'd say 98% of them threw the baseball poorly. Okay, So I've also looked at videos and I've researched these um, instructional programs that use weighted balls. And I see the throwing motions that they're using, throwing these weighted balls. And I don't care whether it's two ounces, three ounces, one ounces, four ounces. It's irrelevant to me. Um, I would not allow these pitchers, and I said this to Kevin, to throw a ping pong ball with that motion. Okay, number one. Number two is, unless I'm mistaken, um, I did play football. I was a quarterback. I played basketball. Um, I coached basketball and football in high school for 12 years. Um, I've looked at and read about um, basketball players and football players and how they train. I don't think there's any basketball player that takes a weighted basketball and goes beyond the three-point line and starts shooting to become a more effective shooter. I don't believe there's any quarterbacks. I never did it. I never taught anybody. I've never seen anybody do it. Take a weighted football and throw the ball as hard as they can to improve their velocity, their ability to throw the ball. So once again, I have a lot of questions. I ask, why do you want to do that? Or why should you do that with the baseball, specifically with a throwing motion that's not kinetically timed, that doesn't have correct kinetic timing and correct phase movements to take the stress off your arm? Uh, and that segues in, if I don't mind, into long tossing where I've seen kids who've bought into the theory that if they can throw the ball the length of a football field, that means they can throw the baseball 90 miles an hour. 
So they will go on the football field, and I've seen this firsthand, and chuck this baseball as hard and as far as they can with horrendous, with an horrendous throwing motion. And I'm saying that's actually harmful to your arm. It's not productive for your ability to throw the baseball. Um, so um, I'm not necessarily criticizing it. Um, I'm asking questions as to what is the reasoning behind it because I don't see these methods being used in any other sport to enhance the pr productivity of the athlete or more importantly, maximize the health of the athlete and minimize their risk of injury. I like now, those are all great, great points and you have research to back it up. Have you had success approaching team doctors with this information? <clears throat> I have um, one, one thing I've learned here, and I think we discussed this, I talked to Kevin about it, and this is an observation, not a criticism. In speaking with anybody about this issue, whether it's doctors, whether it's former major league pitchers, and I haven't spoken to hundreds of them, but I've spoken to enough that my perception is or my uh, understanding is that everybody deals with this within their own wheelhouse. And I understand that. But like I said before, this issue of injuries and performance is a much broader and you need a much broader issue. And there's a lot of components to this. And it has to be viewed at 10,000 feet. As an example, I've talked to several orthopedic doctors. I've talked to one or two um, directors of biomechanic labs and trying to get an understanding of what I've seen and why I'm not looking at this correctly. Because all my research and the reason for me to do this is to find somebody to say, Jim, I understand what you see, but here's where you're wrong. Here's how you have to look at this. Okay. And I haven't found that yet. So I'm still searching for that, but I, I don't mean to digress. Well, let me get back to the original point. In speaking with doctors, orthopedic doctors, they will look at this through their lens, okay, which I understand, which is their medical lens. And uh, one orthopedic doctor said to me, well, you know, their back leg is collapsing because their hip is, uh, they have a hip displacement or their hips aren't balanced. And I'm looking at the throwing motion and saying the back leg is collapsing because they're kicking out, lifting their leg and trying to swing aggressively and they can't create any balance in their motion, right? So once again, there's larger components to this. The, the, the young pitcher might have a hip issue, but that's not what's causing him to create a unbalanced, unathletic throwing motion, okay? And we could get into that in a longer conversation. But that's what I've kind of found. I've yet to find a doctor who um, is either maybe thrown a baseball or um, has taught pitching and wants to then take that information and combine it with the medical aspect and any deficiencies the pitchers might have and say, okay, here's the broader picture. Yes, there's a hip issue, there's a shoulder issue, but the reality is they're not creating a proper motion with good kinetic timing and balance and stability to allow them to throw the ball efficiently and minimize the risk of injury. And I, I like how you said that. You're not looking to be proven right. You just want to start the conversation. And Oh, without a doubt. 
And that's yeah. why I appreciate Kevin getting back to me and you getting back to me. I've said this to my friends and I share, you know, I, I have a couple of good friends who have, uh, you know, provide me with information who have coached baseball for 30, 35 years. And they're just amazed at what I've seen and what they see. But I've said all along, I said, I'm looking for somebody to have a conversation with where I can learn, um, where I can understand, you know, what I'm looking at and if I'm correct, if I'm incorrect and why, why, what I'm looking at, if, if it's correct, why it's not happening. And I have a ton of questions about that. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, people don't like to have conversations nowadays. So you're going to be, I think, dangerous to the establishment. We'd love that. <laughs> I think you'll disrupt it. I got one more question. I want to kind of pass, I want to pass it on to Kevin. Um, let's, let's say you had, you got that audience with the owners, you got the owners in a, in a private room, just you and them. What would you ask them? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> that's a good question. My good friend who, uh, who, who we, we share a lot of this information and he's behind me a hundred percent. Um, his, his, and I, and I have to give Tom some deference here. His question would be, he would hold up a picture and say, what are you looking at? Tell me what you see here. Um, my question, and I do have that same question. My question is, and it's kind of twofold and I'll use an, I use an example. I'd like to know, when John Henry stood up in the room in the Red Sox organization and said, I want to give Chris Sale $145 million for five years. I want to know who raised their hand and said, Chris Sale is good to go. Likewise, when Brian Cashman went to his staff and said, we're looking to bring in Freddie Montas, what do you think? I want to know who raised their hand in that room and said, he's good to go. I'd also want to know if there's anybody in a room who didn't think he was good to go, who didn't want to raise their hand. That's what I really like to know. Because as I said to you before, I don't believe this is rocket science. And I think simple is always better. Um, And simple doesn't mean easy to do. Simple means simple to understand. I have one picture of Freddie Montas. Now I pitched and I hurt my shoulder. It's painful for me to look at this picture of Freddie Montas. Okay. And I'm not picking on on any organization specifically. I'm just giving you my opinion and what I see and when I pitched and what I teach youngsters and what I see with youngsters who get hurt, who throw like that. And I, it's incredulous to me that, Anybody who has motion capture film, and I'm doing this off of a photo from a newspaper or video um, off of YouTube, doesn't look at that picture and says, that's why he got hurt. And that's why he will continue to get hurt with that motion timing unless you make some simple, simple adjustments to take the stress off his shoulder. That's what I do not understand. And that's what I'm looking I want to understand, and I'm searching for an answer for that. That's really what this is all about. I love that. I'll pass it on to you, Kevin. Yeah, great job, Dave. Mesmerizing uh, questions and answers. I mean, you, I could just sit here and listen to this all day. And, and I, I was lucky enough to have a, a nice long interview with Jim before I wrote for Ball Nine about him. And, you know, he, he started out – I just want to give a little background, too, because he's a little being a little humble – uh, he started out, I believe, 14-3 and three as a Yankee uh, top prospect, 
way back in 76, 77. Uh, we have similar backgrounds in that he grew up in a town close that bordered my town, a bigger town in uh, Union, New Jersey. And um, so we kind of know the same kind of people and we're taught the same way. And, and he also made a great point when we were talking that he threw the football 70 yards and his baseball motion was more kind of like funky uh, because it worked and nobody corrected him. So I think that's where we are today with pitchers. So I want to, I want to nail him down on a couple of little things here. Um, Cause again, I think he's been a little humble. He, he, sh- he studied so much video and stuff. Jim, tell us, tell us uh, the number you came up with, with draft picks and, and arm injuries and things like that. Well, <laughs> a good, good question. Um, I originally started looking at, um, as you and I talked about when COVID hit and the project that I was working on kind of went to a dead end. And um, so then I started looking at more major league pitchers. And uh, as I started analyzing throwing motions, I started seeing draft picks and I started seeing number one picks and top prospects having Tommy John surgery. So I said, let me, let me, let me do a study. This is about a year and a half ago. And I mentioned to you, we went to Steamboat Springs for a month and I had a lot of time. So um, once again, I had researchers helping me out. I looked at the top 2021 top MLB pitching prospects. And it's really easy. If you go to MLB.com, they rank the top 50 prospects in each organization. So I had researchers pick out the pitchers for me and they send me the links. And then basically I'd go find the video. So as you can appreciate, it's pretty time consuming to find the videos for 227 pitchers. But once again, I was curious um, and I was looking to see um, how this affects minor league pitchers. Because let me back up for a second. I fully understand a Chris Sale, a Verlander, anybody in that situation who says, hey, I've had a tremendous amount of success. This is what I've been doing. I'm going to stick with this. Okay. Um, I, I understand that and I get that. Um, I don't necessarily agree with it because the success I've had working with 17 to 22 year old pitchers by allowing them to make some adjustments to become more athletic and fluid, um, has increased their performance, their velocity, their movement, and also decreased their arm pain and their risk of injury. But that's a, that's a separate conversation for another day. What I, what I began to see, and I don't understand, and this is another, you're talking about what question I have. The other question I would have the owner is that, okay, you have a 27-year-old pitcher. He's had a lot of success. He's making $15 million a year. He doesn't want to change. You don't want to change him. I get that. But you have a minor league pitcher who's 17 years old, whose throwing motion is horrendous nobody's working with that individual to help develop them so they can have a future down the road. Okay. So I analyzed the 227 pitchers and I had a young lady follow them for a year and a half. Now these pitchers were probably drafted for anywhere from 2016 on because it was the top prospects in 2021. It doesn't mean they were drafted then. Anyway, at that point in time, they were the top pitching prospects in MLB, according to the list that I saw from MLB.com and the teams. Out of those 227, at this point, 
84, 85% have already been injured. Okay. I wow. analyzed each of those throwing motions. And Kevin, I sent you that book and you'll probably get it within a couple of days. I sent you a sample of that just with one team. Um, those throwing motions were, are horrendous. I, I can't, I can't, you know, label it with any other word. Um, I, I used the term before, uh, if, if anybody I've worked with through the baseball like that, okay, I would not allow them to get on a mound until we played catch and they proved to me that they could throw the ball correctly, athletically with a fluid motion. And then we get on the mound and throw 45 feet. As an example, when I work with pitchers, that's how we start. We play catch. If they can't throw the ball correctly playing catch, they can't do it on the mound. I won't let them do it on the mound. And then we go to 45 feet. I, I have never worked with a pitcher throwing the ball 60 feet at max speed. Okay. It's always let's start from the let's start from the fundamentals and work there. So wh- what I what I don't understand is that you have these prospects, okay, all throw anywhere from 88 to 98 miles an hour. You just paid X millions of dollars. And yet they go through the entire system. And when they get to the major leagues, they've made no adjustments in their throwing motion. Now, to get specifically to your question about draft picks, I also had my researchers look at all the number one draft picks from 2016 to 2019 that were pitchers. A third of those have had Tommy John surgery. A third. One third. third. 60% of those have been already injured. And the amount of money spent on those draft picks was $62 million. So, so, and I wasn't joking about the, the Tommy John with the draft picks. Now, let me, let me, let me add this with Tommy John surgery. I'm, I'm working with a high school in Pennsylvania. And I approached the coach with the information I have, and he was he was interested, and we decided to work together. He has told me that he had two of his pitchers had Tommy John surgery last year, and uh, so that's why he was pretty interested. And one of the instructors that was working with one of the pitchers kind of said, "Well, you know, you're going to get it sooner or later, so you might as well get it now." Okay, so for for every Verlander that the writers and everybody wants to speak about as far as coming back from Tommy John and having a tremendous year. There are five that never get back on the mound. And there are probably five to 10 who struggle to reach any level of success they had prior to Tommy John surgery. So, you know, like anything else, we, this issue was not any different than the way we treat any other issues. Let's promote and sell what's good and, and, and what's in our best interest. And we'll just dismiss everything else that doesn't tell our story. So, so you have 18-year-old kids and 17-year-old pitchers going, hey, I've got Tommy John. This is no big deal. I'm out for a year and a half, and I'll come back throwing bullets. Well, you know what? It doesn't work that way. And that's the, that's the real sad part of it because and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but the reason I've gotten into this is because of what I see, what I've seen on the high school level, the injuries I've seen, and the common denominators in the throwing motion that are leading to these injuries and what 
these young pitchers are being sold and what they're being taught. No, that's that's um, great. And that's stuff. really it. And then then it's been extrapolated from and 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 basically supported by what I've researched and seen on the minor and major league level with professional pitchers. No, and um, you know I'm going to throw some names at you in a minute, but I also want to make it clear that when you're talking about fixing these guys, from from what you told me, we're not talking about like you said rocket science. It's basically getting your legs <laughs> under you. It's doing more things. Uh, I mean Severino. I talked about Severino years ago, saying he was going to be candidate for injuries because of the things he did and it's been nothing like that and getting back to the brian cashman question you know who who, who when he when he said let's give him this big contract did anybody say well you know there might be some uh, pitfalls here so so we have this we have this problem i watch a game all the times i watch games all the time you know I'm, i'll turn on a game jeffrey springer goes down the other day um, <laughs> i'm watching the red sox kelly goes down it's sad almost crying on the mound I go to college games. I'll see guys standing in, in the stands, uh, maybe doing the radar gun. Play, uh, players in uh, sl- you know have a, the arms in slings because they had TJ surgery. And and the the negative part of how I think, uh, you know, especially after all the COVID garbage, um, these doctors are making a lot of money off these TJ surgeries. So I'll tell you that. And uh, teams are spending a lot of money on this. So. If you don't fix the problem at its root, you, you continue to get more business in a way. So that's just something uh, something that you got to consider as well. But you look at a guy like those two guys I just mentioned, Springer or Kelly, or we didn't get the Ian Anderson. You know, he's another guy who had Tommy John this year. Jim Cott told me, and he told Dave when we had him on the show about the long toss, just to back it up. So I don't want to make it sound like you're some lone wolf saying this stuff. Cott didn't believe in long toss either. He believed in the 60 foot, six inches. We're getting to that point, starting earlier, 40 feet, whatever, and command. So so the points you're making, I want to make this clear. You're not making radical points. You're making common sense points about how to fix emotion, correct? Yeah. yeah. And and, and let me back up with what you said about Jim Cott. Um, This is anecdotal, right? Uh, As far as my personal history, I never long toss. I long tossed the second day after I started to loosen up back then when I used to, th- we threw batting practice or a bullpen. Okay. I, I don't understand the philosophy of long toss in this context. Everybody's so concerned about the number of pitchers a pitcher throws their arm health, right? As I said, they're in the shower after the fifth inning, the days of Nolan Ryan throwing 170 pitchers, are long, long gone. And once again, that's a whole nother week's worth of conversation. So if I'm concerned about arm health as a coach, as a manager, as a trainer, why do I want my pitcher before he starts going out 20 minutes before chucking the ball the length of the outfield? I don't understand that. And let me give you an example. When I coached in high school, I was amazed and I became incredulous at the pregame warmups for starting pitchers. This is this is exactly what I've seen. I saw all of them do. They go to the fence, they get a band, they do as many band rotator cuff band poles as they can in like five minutes. It looked like a it like a, a Chinese fire drill. Then they would go and proceed the long toss for a good 10 to 15 minutes to loosen their arm up. 
Then they'd go to the bullpen. I counted one visiting pitcher through 75 pitches in the bullpen to get warmed up. Oh my no, God. no, no lie. I finally said to the head coach I'm wor- I was working with, great guy, great guy. I go, this has got to stop. This is what we're going to do. I got a hold of a strength and conditioning coach who worked with my daughter. Uh, my daughter's a very talented athlete. She plays lacrosse. And I said, I want to come up with about 10 to 15 dynamic warm-up exercises. Okay. So this is what we had the pitchers do. And this was pulling teeth. It was unbelievable. If I didn't stand there and watch them do it, they would not do this. But this is what we had them do. I said, we're going to warm up metabolically. Okay. I'm going to have you run three to four sprints, medium, medium speed. Then we're going to do about 10 minutes of dynamic stretching. Okay. Lower half, high knees, low knees, karaoke. Then you're going to come back and run three to four really hard sprints. Then we're going to go to the bullpen and you're going to throw 25 pitches and then you're going to start the game. I said, the first 10 are yours, the last 15 are mine, and we're going to have a batter at the plate. I said, that's how you warm up. If you warm up metabolically, your arm is going to get warmed up. Plus, you've been throwing every other day. There's no reason for you to long toss. There's no reason for you to throw 70 pitches in the bullpen because, once again, you're, you're concerned about arm health and minimizing your risk of injury. So let's save those extra 40 pitches for the game. Okay, That took me about a year and a half to convince pitchers that that's what they needed to do because they were sold on, hey, I got a long toss and I got I to pull bands for 15 minutes. It's crazy. I'm telling you, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, again, it's it's so basic if you really step back and think of it. And I'm glad you explained that so well because I, I didn't know those details. And that and that could be done. Anybody can do that. And and then if you get your uh, explain a little bit about getting the lower half and timing. I think that's important for you. Yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, it's it, it'll be a little difficult to do without photos because we have an yeah, audio no, there. No, but, but yeah, paint the picture as well as you can. Yeah, exactly. Um, in researching, let me back up. I, I was fortunate enough to coach basketball and, and football in high school along with baseball. Um, I coached both boys and girls basketball. And I worked, a, I worked with a lot of individual athletes on their shooting. I worked with quarterbacks. I worked with defensive backs. And I began to see, not began to see, there was a com- common denominator in listening to coaches, listening to strength and conditioning coaches. And, and what I had to teach was you need to move athletically. You need to generate energy athletically, and you do that from the ground up. You do that by being balanced and stable throughout your movement. That just makes sense, right? So when I work with quarterbacks and I work with basketball players, I began to see a common denominator with what I was doing with pitching in that I was teaching pitchers to stay balanced and athletic through the motion to create energy from the ground up that's transferred from their feet up to their upper half, to their arm, to the ball. Okay, kinetic timing. But to do that, you have to have proper timing with your lower half and the ball, which is created by using the proper phase movements or movement of your lower half and your upper half. So actually what it means is that you're learning to go to the target to create a healthy arm path. And without getting too you know, specific, 
It's not an arm path that's down behind your back. It's an arm path that's up and around and through in a really large, relaxed motion. As I told kids all the time is that when you throw the baseball, your upper half is basically spaghetti, okay? Your arm is the, is the steering wheel, not the engine. And when you throw the baseball, your goal is to have three relaxed hinges, your wrist, your wrist, your elbow, and your shoulder. Okay, the more relaxed your arm is, and the more you can throw with three relaxed hinges, the greater the whip, the greater the loop, the greater velocity, the greater the movement. Okay, but most of these kids are so muscle bound and so stiff. And what they're doing is trying to create motions that are antithetical to a fluid athletic motion. And they're actually restricting themselves as far as their movement and their velocity and their command. Uh, And regarding command, not to get too specific and elongated here, is that what I saw was that not only does a athletic fluid motion um, decrease the stress on your arm and reduce your risk of injury. It also increases your command and your movement. And there's nobody I've ever worked with who has had a reduction in velocity. They've all increased their velocity. Okay. Which to me makes common sense because I'm using my lower half, my big muscles as the engine. I'm going to create more power and, and torque when I'm able to throw the baseball. Um, and I relate this to kids and and pitchers and I've done studies. I've looked at several pitchers and looked at their stats for the year. And I relate this in that a lot of pitchers who have poor kinetic timing, I call them amateur golfers. Okay. And what I mean by that is that I play golf with a lot of people who, kind of do not have good kinetic timing, have not created a swing from the ground up. I play golf. I have a really good golf instructor. I kind of understand this. There's a great parallel between the kinetic timing of swinging a golf club and pitching. A little different, but there is corollaries. Um, And what they're trying to do as the golfer is they're trying to make consistent contact with their hands, their small muscles. So one day they'll shoot an 85 because they have good timing with their hands. The next day they'll shoot a 96 and they they're all frustrated and don't understand it. Well, if you don't create a golf swing from the ground up with good kinetic timing and use your lower half, you're not going to be able to create a consistent slot for your, for your club. Okay. And you're not going to get it through consistently. The same thing with a pitcher. When I study certain pitchers, and I did this with the Angels starters three years ago, I took three starters. Every other start they had or every third start was really good. So, and I looked at their emotions and I go, you're, you're a golfer. You're the amateur golfer. You're, You're creating, you're creating this consistent arm slot with your arm and you're relying on your arm and your hand to get it through. You're not relying on your lower half, the big muscles to create stability so you can create a consistent arm slot because one day, one game, they would have five innings, one hit, uh, one run, two walks. Next, next outing, they'd have four innings, three hits, four walks, four runs. Next inning, next outing could be a no hitter. The next outing after that was four innings, three runs, six hits, two walks. It was, it was inconsistent, which just basically told me that, Hey, and I've seen this with kids I've worked with. Anybody I've worked with who has begun to make some of these adjustments, 
says to me, and the catcher has said, hey, he's got better command. His, his curveball is breaking sharper. His two-seamer is moving more. It's, you know, as, as, as I like to say to the kids all the time, it's not rocket science. It's just common sense. It's just common, common sense. And, and again, the, the stuff you, 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 that's why we wanted you on the show. And we're speaking to Jim Colonel and um, his expertise on the pitching motion. And our, our good buddy, Sal Marinello, would probably agree with a lot of this stuff. Sal's not a pitching expert, but he's a, a strength and conditioning performance coach expert. And uh, he's always saying the things that you're preaching as well. I, uh, one more before I throw it back to Dave. Um, I'm so glad you, you mentioned some things like the wrist and things like that. I just saw Jacob deGrom had to leave last night's game after four innings, I believe. They said there was some kind of wrist issue. Um, Scherzer is going to been start has been pushed back to Wednesday because of a, a shoulder, lower, you know, lat type thing behind the back, a shoulder issue. These are all warning signs that something's wrong with the lower half, I would imagine, right? Well, <laughs> you know, it, 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 let, let, let me... Let me get back to the original point I made, which I think is important, okay? When I first started this, what really piqued my interest was I read about Noah Noah Syndergaard's Tommy John surgery. And there was five or six quotes that I researched, and I did a video about this. One former pitcher, pitching coach, blamed it on his two-seamer. Another one blamed it on his arm slot. Another one blamed the Tommy John on his slider. Okay. And I'm reading this. I'm going, what are you talking about? Okay. Because I, I, I pitched, even if you didn't pitch, you're telling me Noah Syndergaard had Tommy John surgery because he's holding the ball with across the seam with the seams rather than across the seams. I go, that's, that's an absurd statement. So I started looking into this a little further. And that's when I said to myself, you know, everybody wants to look at this through their own lens. And, and not realize there's 10 sides of the prism. When I look at a pitcher and I look at the incidence or the risk of arm injury or any athlete, right? For a pitcher specifically is DNA. There's how hard you throw. There's how often you throw. There's how much rest. There's what you eat, your diet, your conditioning, your strength, your agility, your balance. All those together factor into what is the risk of a pitcher's injury? No different than if you were a doctor and you were assessing somebody's health, saying, okay, what do you eat? Do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you exercise? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What's your lifestyle? Are you overweight? Are you underweight? No different, right? So when I see people pinning their hat on one specific issue, I go, you know what? You're looking at it through your own prism. You're not looking at this through the entirety. So that's really kind of what I began to see. And with the two pitches you talked about, as an example, I met Jake Arietta. Okay. He's a mountain man. I think he was 6'4, 245. Okay. He's had some injuries. Didn't have, I don't believe he's had surgery. He throws across his body. Chris Sale has had Tommy John surgery. He throws across his body has similar throwing motions. I'm only using that as an example. DNA comes into play. DNA comes into play with every pitcher, okay? But if you have poor timing and you have poor arm path and you're putting tremendous stress on your shoulder, your elbow, your oblique, 
your lat because of your poor timing, it will eventually get to you depending on what your DNA is and other factors. Okay. Verlander had Tommy John surgery after 2,800 innings. Serovino had Tommy John surgery after 500 innings. Kopech after 150. Syndergaard after 700. They all threw the ball exactly the same way with varying degrees, but all had poor lower half ball timing. Okay. I'm not a scientist, but I'm looking and I would say, well, you know what? Verlander probably had better DNA. Very interesting. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. No, I'm I'm same as you were, Kevin, just mesmerized by the information. And Jim, you just rattled off, and I, you know, our audience knows full disclosure. I'm former college coach, former professional player, but I also have an analytics background. I use it for good and not evil, though. Um, you just named, you just rattled off the top of your head 15 regression analysis points that if people in analytics were paying attention, they could put that together and use analytics to help predict injury. I mean, you just oh, without oh, oh without a doubt. I I just said, <laughs> I you know, I I I've had as a cottage industry, I had some fun with this, but I wrote the I wrote the, about a year prior to every injury. I wrote the Mets about Syndergaard. I wrote the White Sox about Kopech. I wrote the Yankees about Syndergaard. I mean about Cerevino, about Montgomery. I wrote the Red Sox about Sale. I did a video about Sale, and I basically just said, "Hey, here's my observations." This is what's wrong with the throwing motion. These are some simple adjustments your pitcher has to make. Otherwise, he's going to have a serious arm injury. Um, and obviously, they all went in the circular file. Um, but I've had, I, I've done that over the last four years. And 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 I'm not saying to myself, "Hey, I'm I'm some you know I'm some type of genius here." Um, I'm just once again incredulous as as far as analytics go. Okay, and I've had pitchers say to me they're concerned about spin rate, not concerned about sustainability. And my response is, I think I shared with you and Kevin, is that spin rate does nothing on the IL for you. Okay, it doesn't count. Um, yeah. It means nothing. So um, I don't, I don't understand. Let me let me give you an example. We talked about before. I'm I'm an owner. Okay, and a pitcher comes to me. Okay, and says, I want $150 million for five years. I go, okay, John. Okay. Here's a here's a picture of how you throw. Here's three different pictures in specific timing phases. Okay. Here's 145 pictures of pitchers who've had Tommy John surgery in the last four years. They match up to exactly how you throw. Okay, so I'll tell you what. I'm going to say to you that if you want $150 million for five years, you're going to have to make these four adjustments over the next four months, and then we'll talk about it. If you don't want to do that, I understand. But I'm not going to spend the money because I'm telling you, you're going to get hurt. Because these 145 pitchers tell me that you're going to get hurt. And this timing tells me you're going to get hurt. But I'll tell you what I'll do. You want $30 million a year for five years with the way you throw? I'll give you $45 million for one. Prove me wrong. You stay healthy? We'll talk about two more. But if you want five, 
you're going to have to make these adjustments. And you know what? You can make them in two weeks. And I'm going to step out of that conversation because as me, Jim Colonel, anybody I've worked with, okay, and I've worked with kids as young as 13 years old, have been able to make these adjustments in two weeks. I have some that have made it in one week. I'll give you a, a, one quick anecdotal story. We had a pitcher four years ago, bull of a kid and also bull of an attitude. He didn't want to hear from anybody. He had three pitching coaches. His parents spent thousands of dollars. His throwing motion was horrendous. And I said to my, the coach I work with, I go, he's got a lot of talent. I got to talk to him. He goes, no, let him fail. He's going to have to fail. He's going to hit rock bottom before he's willing to listen. Well, he went out one day against a kid, a team. He should have threw a shutout blindfolded. He threw four innings, gave up five runs, gave up six hits, walks five, and threw 90 pitches. Okay, he was strutting all over the mound, fit to be tied. So I looked at my coach, the head coach, and said, can I talk to him now? He said, yes. So I went up and said, hey, how do you feel? He goes, terrible. I go, okay, you, you're ready to listen? You want some help? He goes, yes. Okay, this is exact story. I played catch with him for a week. Play catch with him. Have him made the adjustments. That's all I did. I didn't make the game the next week when he started. He threw a complete game, gave up two hits, struck out nine, walked one, got a college scholarship off of that game. Do you remember what the adjustments were? My question is, my question to pitchers, former pitchers who have said to me, these guys can't change. They've been doing all their life. And I say to them, I watched the PGA tournament last year. Dustin Johnson and John Rahm were paired together in the third round. Together, they hit one fairway. Dustin Johnson wasn't in the woods. He was in the parking lot, okay? And the announcers were kind of talking about their inability to hit the fairway. They were being kind. The next day I tuned in and I listened to the analyst, and this is what he said of Dustin Johnson. After the round, this is a PGA tournament, a, a, not a major, but a big tour tournament. He went to the driving range for an hour to work on his swing, his mechanics, to make adjustments to figure out what he was doing wrong so he could put the ball in the fairway to be able to compete. The next day, before the final round, he went back to the range, as they all do, and hit balls for another half an hour, making sure that he could make sure that, hey, do I have this muscle memory? What I figured out, can I do this, right? He recognized what he was doing wrong. He hit every fairway and, run the, and, and, and won the tournament. So my question to this pitcher was, I get it. In the middle of July, in a pennant race, okay, I'll go with what I have. Being to me to tell me that in November, you can't take two weeks to make some adjustments when I have 15-year-olds who during the season can make these adjustments? I said, I don't understand that. I do not understand that. Yeah. Well, maybe like that young man, our industry has to hit rock bottom before they start paying attention to what you're trying to educate them on and less about, I guess, get them out of this indoctrination that they're in. Because for I listened to your story that you told Kevin about taking, it took a, a year and a half 
you're a former prospect, an accomplished coach, an accomplished instructor, and a successful researcher, a year and a half to convince teenagers to do a dynamic warm-up. Um, you know, that, that, that to me is an, an indoctrination that we've got to get through with educating with people like yourself. So I'm glad you stuck with it with them. And, and Jim, we, Kevin always ends our show with, with a, uh, a simple but deep question to our guests. And I'll, I'll turn that over to Kevin to let you finish our show with that. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, yeah Jim, it's, uh, take your time with this answer, but uh, everyone gives us their own, own view of this, just like you said, from 10,000 feet. But uh, it's a simple question, uh, and here it is. What does it mean to be a ball player to you, Jim Colonel, what does it mean to be a ball player? Um, I'll I'll answer this with what I what I what I tell athletes all the time, and uh, is that when you walk on the field, it's the most important thing in your life. When you leave the field, treat it as the least important thing in your life. That's good. I like that. Because, uh, because, because I, I fully understand the value of sports. What I, what I don't agree with is that sports are being sold, um, as a requirement or as a method to develop character in that I think that's a tremendous slight to the student who takes four or five AP courses who wants to better himself to get into the best school they can, or the a young student who's the musician who takes lessons and wants to get a music scholarship because he wants to be a musician, or any other, or a doctor, or any other young student, or young, young teenager, or young adult who works at their craft to be the best they can be. So while I think sports are a great opportunity, I think I personally feel that sports reveal and test character. And I think that to a certain extent, our society uh, and what we are being sold and what we, we, what we practice, um, ha- we've lost a lot of balance and perspective with sports, especially youth sports and, and where they fit into a young teenager or young child's life. And um, I think that's the unfortunate part of it. Um, I think some people get it. I think a lot of people are mesmerized by what they're being sold and how we view sports today. Uh, That's a tremendous answer. That's a different one. And I think it's, uh, it says a lot and um, totally agree. That could be my favorite right there. I love how you put that, Jim. My, uh, my son called our mail carrier ball player yesterday and I kind of laughed because uh, she looked at me and said, that's a compliment. He meant it as a compliment. And I asked him after, so why, why, why is she a ball player? And he's like, she, she never misses a day. She's here every day. We've been here a year and a half. I see her every day when I her shooting. She actually jogs up the, the driveway, puts the packages by the door, jogs back. She said it gets her work done faster, more efficient. So um, give me a ball player doing anything. I, I like how you put that with students and musicians. We often miss that. As well. well, I think that, you know, what to add to that, I think that one of the things that we tried to, the, the gentleman I coached with, who I really enjoyed coaching with, was that, and I, I did a video on this uh, and talking to kids about this, is that the, your goal as an athlete and your focus is to control what you control. And I, and, I, and I looked at a game and said, there's nine variables in a game. 
from the opposing team to the weather, to the coaches, to your execution. And I said, the only thing you really can control is your effort. And, and for kids to understand or young athletes to understand that each day they go out, they're really their goal and objective is to try to get better that day. And to do that, you have to understand what your weaknesses are and work on those to improve those. You know, the college scholarship, the, the major league baseball, those are, those are dreams and those are something to shoot for. But the only thing you really can control is your effort, win, lose, or draw, and your ability to compete. And I think that um, what I've talked about is that it's not necessarily a will to win because you can't control whether you win. Appalachian, can stay, Appalachian State can be, play Alabama 100 times. I don't care how much they want to win. They're going to lose. It's a question of did they compete on the field? And um, I think that's lost in youth sports today, the, 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 the understanding about I need to go out to compete. And what do I have to do to put myself in the best position to compete? Uh, and whether I win or lose, it's, a, it's, it's, it's really a, a reflection of how well I competed that day, regardless of the circumstances. And that's, you know, you're talking about being a ball player. That, that's what I look at when I look at an athlete. Are they willing to compete? Forget about whether they won or lost. Are they willing to compete? No, tremendous messages today. We appreciate all that you contributed to the show. And I know I got smarter today. I love the shows where I get smarter. And I think the people in our 72 countries that support us from grassroots to Major League Baseball front offices, they all got smarter too. And I hope that your education uh, to our youth and our professional players, and hopefully you get that meeting with some front offices to, to get that answer that you were looking for, because I think you're valuable to the future of the game. So we're, we're going to support you, Jim. Jim, tell our audience how we can find you, uh, social media, uh, website. How can we find you and support what you're doing? Um, well, I tell you what, I, 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 um, I have to work in that because my, 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 <laughs> My wife will not let me and my children will not allow me on social media. They're, they're concerned about what I would say. <laughs> but I, I, did, I did have a website um, that I temporarily shut down. Um, I am involved in a program right now uh, called the Alpha Zone. And um, it's interesting is that I was, I was presented with an opportunity to do online teaching and online instruction. So I have an app that I have an app which I'm using now with pictures that allows me to them they can send me a video and I can annotate that video with graphics with a voiceover and I can provide them a full instruction and we can chat online in a separate online file and I can basically have online instruction etc. So um, th that's one way um, through the Alpha Zone and the other is that you know I'd be very happy to give anybody my uh, email address. And uh, they want to connect with me or, or, or contact me. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Are you okay giving it on the air right now? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's tap twenty seven. Like tap your fingers. Tap twenty seven at Comcast.net. Got it. And I would hope that our audience would take take advantage of that uh, without a doubt. Uh, you know, Jim Colonel here, former Yankee prospect, accomplished coach, tremendous researcher. We appreciate you coming on and. To our 16,000 subscribers today, make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe this episode, rate and review it so we can beat the analytics push of the podcast. We're challenging you guys to get up to that 100,000 mark. We want to do it sooner than later. So get on that today. Pass this out to four or five friends and get them to do it as well. Uh, we can continue to provide you great content uh, if you do so, much like our show today. 
Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can find us and stream us there. Or if you have another one, please let us know. We will certainly subscribe to that. Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We're active there. One question a day I'll answer. I'll get every back to everybody else privately. We are in 72 countries now. Grassroots, the Major League front office has tried to build a better baseball IQ. Make sure you follow my Hall of Fame co-host here and star of the show, Coach and Kernan, Kevin Kernan on Ball 9. Support our guys there, all of their writers. Please do so. And follow Kevin on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. He gives you great content in between the shows and in between the stories. So take advantage of all of that. Kevin, thank you so much. Jim, thank you so much today. We appreciate you both. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for your time. I enjoyed it. Great job. Okay. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time, guys. Yeah.